0: The
1: first degree. first degree. First degree.
0: First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life.
1: I was kind of in denial at first because I just couldn't believe it. But I knew, like, you you know how you get these icky, like, deep down, icky feelings, that something's happened, like I had that, like I was just shocked at first and and, and not believing, and then as time went on, I became a lot more angry just because of the effect that it had on everyone.
2: Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And you know what? I am drinking a little sparkling
3: rosé out of a really nice coupe glass. I'm feeling so fancy. I am so jealous. I'm just drinking this plum beach LaCroix water, Mm. beach plum Mm. flavor. I've never had this before, but not alcohol, which is sad. I'm not drinking anything. You guys, come on. Get on my level. I get know. on my level. How are mm-hmm. we doing today? I wish I was. Doing well. A little tired. Right. Hanging in there.
2: We are recording on a Monday, and I was Alexis and I were talking before this episode that it's the most Monday. Monday is Monday. Oh, it's a Monday. All right. <laughs> there, there's <laughs> the on. <laughs> it's a Monday. Indeed. It right, right. is.
0: Well, you're well, listening to this on a Wednesday.
2: You are. So, so hopefully everybody's is. hump day is feeling yes. so much better. Yes. We are going to yes. get you
0: through the rest of the week.
2: We will, Billy. What day is it today?
0: Today is March 9th, and it is Barbie Day. <sighs> it is Barbie Day. What was your favorite Barbie growing up?
2: Barbie. <laughs> <No>, There's <laughs> just one. Like,
0: like there was. Didn't you have different? Uh, there was astronaut Barbie. There's. Was...
2: They, yeah, they'd like they had ones that did. You different just bought it clothes. I wasn't a Barbie girl. I was, I, was. A, I wasn't a doll person when I was a kid. I was I collected stuffed animals, many hundreds, if you will.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I did it all. I did Barbies. I did my little ponies. I, I did the boodles. Pony. I did pogs. You
0: name it. I was always jealous of the Barbie uh, play sets because they had the little McDonald's play set and they had the little <laughs> like convenience store play set and they had the the townhouse, the Barbie dream house, all of that stuff I always thought was really cool. Yeah. It is also panic day. And I don't know why anybody created this. The creators of this holiday described the day by saying that would-be celebrants should run around all day in a panic, telling others you can't handle it anymore. And oh. the holiday is co-sponsored by the Sky is Falling Committee.
2: I kind of like this. Yeah. What is the Sky is Falling Committee? <laughs> it sounds like it might be like, you know, the Birds Aren't Real clothing line that was started by this kid that was basically trolling like the super far right. No. But it ended up being Oh yeah But it ended up being like satire But everybody thought it was real But that kind of feels like What this sort of a vibe is Like some kind of a satire Okay Like I don't know Secret society sort of a thing I'm into it Alright I'll look into it But uh Okay well I think that that's enough of that So
3: let's turn down the lights And turn up your anxiety
0: Because this could be you
3: When something horrible happens, an awful crime, an inexplicable murder, people want answers. Obviously, the victim can't tell their story if they're no longer living, so we turn to the perpetrator. But what if they're unable or unwilling to shed light themselves? Well, then we've at least got trial proceedings, right? But what if there's no trial either? What then? Well, then you turn to those closest to those involved, which is exactly what we're doing in today's episode.
2: We begin today's case on December 28th of 2014. Songs on the radio included Blank Space by Taylor Swift and Take Me to Church by Hozier, which is a great, great song. Movies like The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies, and Into the Woods were dominating the box office, and Sony Pictures had just been the victim of that major cyber attack. They subsequently canceled the release of The Interview, which starred Seth Rogen, because Theory Chains refused to pay for it. Play it. Sorry.
0: The setting for today's case is Yorktown, Virginia, which is a town deeply rooted in American history. Besides being located in one of the eight original shires formed in colonial Virginia, Yorktown is most famously known as the site of a major siege during the Revolutionary War. And when it was all was said and done, the British general, General Cornwallis, surrendered to General George Washington. But today the town is pretty small; its a population of three hundred seventeen.
3: And our first degree for today's case is named Megan. And in December of 2014, she was living in Richmond, Virginia. Her connection to Yorktown comes from her father, Kurt, who retired from the Air Force and eventually settled in the Yorktown area. And besides frequent moves due to her dad's military career, Megan's childhood was pretty normal and happy. She had two parents who loved her and two younger siblings. But eventually, like 25% of kids in the U.S., her parents' marriage ended in divorce.
2: Two years later, Megan's dad remarried a woman named Miriam, but eventually that marriage hit the rocks as well.
0: Then one day, a few years later, Megan received some very shocking news. There was a tragic death in her family. A horrific crime scene had been discovered inside Miriam's house. So, what exactly happened at Miriam's and who was responsible? To answer these questions, you know the drill we gotta go back.
3: Let's start all the way back in the 1970s when Megan's parents first met. In 1977, 24-year-old Kurt Kurosawa, an Air Force sergeant, was stationed at Barksdale Air Force Base in Bossier Parish, Louisiana. While eating at a restaurant in that area, Kurt met a 17-year-old waitress who would later become his wife and Megan's mom. My mom was
1: 17 years old. She was a waitress. She grew up in, like, the country. Like, imagine going way out as far as you can into the country and then go two hours further. That's like where she was raised. In a little town called Cachada, Louisiana. And my dad was born to two Japanese Americans. So he was Japanese. Three months after
2: meeting, Megan's parents moved in together. And it wasn't long before they asked her dad's permission to marry. Thinking his daughter was pregnant, he consented. But she wasn't pregnant. They just wanted to get married. They actually didn't have their first child, who was Megan, until two years later in 1979. They went on to have two other children, another daughter in 83, and a son in 86.
0: And like we said before, Megan's childhood was pretty normal, even for a military brat, until the mid-90s, when her dad, Kurt, discovered the internet while he was stationed in Langley, Virginia.
1: He was very much involved in like the internet before the internet was like AOL and all the things that we know today. He ran a bulletin board, which was kind of an online gathering of people, and he met somebody he fell in love with.
3: The woman was much older than Kurt, but she was a professor, and he felt that he could connect with her on an intellectual level. Kurt felt so strongly about this woman that he actually told his wife about her. And Megan's mom was understandably not
1: happy. Women kind of do this weird thing where they test their men. And she was just kind of like, well, if you, you need to go meet her and see if you love her. But it was a test. It was like trying to trick him into seeing if he was going to stay with her or if he was going to go and see if he, he liked this woman.
3: If this was a test by Megan's mom, Kurt failed. Oh yeah, because he
2: drove to Florida to meet with this mystery internet woman. But things didn't work out between them, and by the time Kurt realized his mistake, it was already too late. Megan's mother, she was done. His behavior had completely devastated her. She kicked him out and started the divorce process. And Kurt's actions didn't just hurt Megan's mom, it hurt Megan and her siblings too, deeply.
1: He asked me, he's like, Megan, do you, do you, love, do you love me anymore? I remember he was smoking a cigarette, it was like 5 in the morning, I was getting ready for high school. And I said, you know, I still love you, Dad, but I don't respect you, because you should have stood up for your family. And he was like, no, I totally get it.
0: Following the divorce, the Kurosawa family stayed in Langley. Megan and her siblings lived with their mom, and they saw Kurt every other weekend this huge change in their daily lives took a giant toll on the kids.
1: You know, it was definitely something that I struggled with because when you're a kid, that's all you know is your parents being together. And then um, for him to drop this big bomb on us and my sister, my brother and I, we just didn't really know what to do with it. And I remember I was coming up with schemes, like to try and get them back together, because you know we obsessed over the parent trap.
2: Okay. So for those of you that need a quick little recap, The Parent Trap is about identical twin girls who were separated at birth by their parents who had just gotten divorced. The girls want their parents to get back together. So they swap places and start scheming up these different ways to reunite their parents. And they do things like refuse to tell their parents which twin is which unless they all went on a family camping trip together. And the original Disney movie was released in 1961 and starred Haley Mills as both twins. And I think that Everybody that's listening probably knows the newer one, 37 years
3: later, that was remade with Lindsay Lohan. Right. And Megan and her siblings saw the parent trap and thought that they, too, could get their parents back together. And it's a really common fantasy that the children of divorced parents get lost in.
1: I remember my brother got a bike, and we were like, oh, we can't get the bike together. We need help. And so we tried to get my dad to come over and, like, fix the bike with my mom there, and Try to get them back together, but it didn't work. (laughs) So it was a bummer. We were really devastated and it affected us greatly. But, you know, you you move on, you get through it. Megan and her siblings' ploys
3: to get their parents back together were unsuccessful. And as soon as the divorce was finalized, both of Megan's parents didn't waste any time diving back into the world of, quote unquote, dating. And I put that word in quotes for a reason. So Megan's mom met her second of five husbands the conventional way. They met in person, while Kurt took a more unique approach. So what might that approach be? Well, he joined MailOrderBrides.com. And we asked Megan what her thoughts were on why this was the route her dad chose when looking for a new partner.
1: I think he was just tired of the feminist Movement that was going on at the time, where women were trying to liberate themselves, and I think he was just looking for somebody who was going to be this like quiet wife that was just going to do the things he couldn't do. He couldn't take care of himself. I mean between between the time when he he and my mom split, and he actually had somebody in his life. I had a car, and I was driving over to his house, bringing him food, doing his laundry, cleaning for him, and I think that was a big part of it. And I think he did want this old-fashioned, like, woman that was just going to rear his children and take care of him, and, and he was just going to provide for the family financially, and that was going to be enough.
2: After joining the dating site, Kurt quickly realized which country's women he was most interested in. Or rather, he realized that he fit the criteria of women from one country in particular, and that
1: was really appealing to him. There were pictures from women all over the world, and he he was struck by the Philippines because all of them were looking for someone who was 35 or older, who was secure and stable and who would not beat them. That was, like, the basic advertisement for most of the women he looked at.
0: Kurt would show Megan the profile pictures of Filipina woman on the site and ask what she thought about them. Eventually, he started talking to a Filipina woman named Miriam Macario.
3: Kurt really liked Miriam, but there was one little problem. She was already engaged to another man who lived in North Carolina. Okay, so it was actually a big problem, at least for Kurt, who wanted to marry Miriam himself. In March of 1997, Miriam traveled from the Philippines to the US to marry her North Carolina based fiance. But that tryst didn't have much of a happy ending. The man in North Carolina had a daughter, and the daughter hated Miriam when she met her. So he ultimately called this marriage off. But Miriam was absolutely committed to marrying an American man. So on March 8th, just a few days after she got to North Carolina and that relationship ended, she called Kurt. And remember, Miriam had been talking with Kurt online, even though she had a different fiance already. So it seemed as though Kurt was her backup plan—a backup plan she'd ultimately turn towards when shit went south with fiance number one in North Carolina. And luckily for her, Kurt was very much still interested in pursuing a relationship with her, and he dove in headfirst.
1: He drove down to Raleigh, picked her up, married her on the spot through like a justice of the peace, and brought her to Virginia and introduced us to her. There's something we haven't mentioned
3: about Miriam yet. At this time, she was only 22 years old. And at this point, Kurt was 44 years old. And Megan, she was 17 years old, only four years younger than her new quote-unquote stepmom.
2: And Megan was not happy. This woman was young enough to be her sister. And it wasn't just the age difference that bothered Megan.
0: Megan's concerns only heightened when Miriam was forced to go back to the Philippines just one week after marrying Kurt.
1: What ended up happening was because she did not marry the person that was on her marriage visa from the Philippines to the United States, they ended up deporting her back to the Philippines And they had to reapply all over again. So he had to wait for her for over a year before she came back to the United States and he was with her.
3: By the end of the year, when Kurt and Miriam were apart, Megan had warmed up to Miriam,
1: slightly. She sent me letters while she was overseas. And when she came back, she genuinely seemed to want to make my dad happy. And so we became friends. Megan
3: couldn't see Miriam as a stepmom figure, and she wouldn't. But she was willing to see her as a friend, so she gave her a chance. And once she got to know her, Megan really liked Miriam. One thing that stuck out to her was how difficult her life had been growing up in extreme
1: poverty in the Philippines. So they would have to go in and carry water in a bucket and use it to flush the toilets and use it for showers. And their floors were made out of dirt. And she said at one point, They lived under an overpass. I think that's part of why she ended up coming over to the United States was to help out her family because a lot of women come over here and they send money to their families. And and that was very similar to what she did. Like, dad had an allowance for her and she would send a couple hundred dollars a month over there. And that put her siblings through private school and through college. And it helped them to live a A much better life than what they were living.
2: So it seems like a win win situation for all consenting parties. Like Megan said, Kurt was able to provide Miriam and her family with a much higher quality of living. And Kurt felt like it was a really good trade off because he got a lot of benefits from Miriam in return. She took care of him, she would cook for him, and she would keep the house. And to be clear, this was not a sham marriage. Kurt and Miriam stayed together, and by all accounts, they were happy. They would go on to have three children together, Kent, Kayla, and Kevin. And those were Megan's
0: half-siblings. Kurt, Miriam, and their three children eventually settled in the Yorktown, Virginia area. Megan helped babysit her half-siblings whenever she could. And this led Megan to get really close with Miriam. After forming their bond, Miriam often confided in Megan about issues she was having with her dad, Kurt. She would ask me questions like, oh, what were things like between your mom and your dad?
1: And things like that. And, and she would share with me a lot of the problems that she had with my dad. And they were very similar with the problems my mom had with my dad. And I remember her calling me, to like crying one night in the early 2000s saying, I found spyware on my computer, your father doesn't trust me. And she was really upset. And, and so she confided in me a lot of things and, and I liked her and I, I felt bad for her because, because she was going through the exact same kind of thing my mother went through when my mom was with my dad. For years, Megan and Miriam
3: maintained a close relationship and that only changed when Megan and her husband moved to Richmond in the late 2000s. Megan now lived about an hour from her dad Miriam. There was a lot less popping by to see them or to help out. And with the distance between them, it was difficult to maintain a close relationship, so they grew apart. And during this time, Kurt and Miriam had some big life changes. In 2007, after retiring from the Air Force, Kurt became a registered nurse, a career he became very passionate about. And with her husband now working the night shift, Miriam befriended a group of local Filipina ladies who would often get together, party, and go to the beach. It was her first set of friends since she arrived in America more than 10 years prior. And she deserved to have friends, and she was really happy about it. By 2010, Megan had gotten married herself
2: and started her own family. When her son turned one, she threw a first birthday party for him and invited her dad and Miriam. Megan was really happy when they showed up, but that happiness quickly turned to concern when she noticed that things were different with Miriam.
1: She seemed distracted. I remember her and my dad coming over, and then she was on her phone a lot, like texting and like smiling and laughing like she was chit-chatting with somebody else. And she wasn't engaged. With the kids, she wasn't engaged with me, and it was very different from what I was used to seeing her as.
0: At the time, Megan had no idea what was going on with Miriam. But she knew that the past two years had been hard on Miriam and her dad as a couple. In February of 2008, Kurt had been in a horrible accident after being T-boned while riding his motorcycle. He almost died after rupturing his spleen, breaking eight ribs, and his collarbone. Then, if that wasn't bad enough, Kurt suffered a massive heart attack in October of 2009. These incidents terrified Miriam. And of course, they terrified Kurt as well, not to mention the physical toll they incurred on him. So the distance that Megan observed between Miriam and her dad at her son's first birthday party, were these cracks in the once happy marriage between them now starting to show?
1: My dad was so much older than her, and I think... It really stressed her out, knowing he had had a severe motorcycle accident. he had had a massive heart attack. He had to have, like, a quadruple bypass surgery. And he was a heavy smoker from a young age. And when she asked him to stop smoking and she asked him to stop riding his motorcycle, he didn't. He said, these are things I love to do. I don't wanna do this and I remember her calling me and she was just crying and she's like, Megan, I, I can't do this. Like he, he's gonna make me a widow with these three small kids and I think that was kind of the beginning and she kinda of detached herself from my dad.
3: Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply.
0: Following the first birthday party of Meghan's son, the distance between Miriam and Kurt continued to widen. Miriam started acting in ways which Meghan describes as out of character. Things then took a turn for the worst. When Megan and her siblings received a very strange text message.
1: One of Miriam's really good friends sent a message to me and my sister and my brother saying, she's cheating on your dad and it's with this guy and I'm really worried about
3: her. When confronted with this friend's allegation, Miriam said her friend was lying and that she wasn't having an affair. And Kurt believed Miriam He didn't think she would ever cheat on him. Miriam was so upset with her friend that she actually attempted to sue her for defamation, and she asked Megan and her siblings to give character references for her in court. The three older Kurosawa children agreed to it, and they wanted to help because not only did they know Miriam and did they think she was a great wife and mom, but they also had no reason to believe these affair allegations were true, especially since their own father didn't believe them. The siblings all gave their character references, but that's the only part of the court process they were privy to. They weren't allowed to know any details due to their testimonies. And honestly, it's unclear where this lawsuit and how this lawsuit, you know, played out in court.
2: So up until this point, Megan and her siblings had no hard feelings against Miriam. But that all changed when they found out Miriam's friend actually wasn't lying in that text message that she sent to them. Miriam was having an affair with a Filipino man in the Air Force who she met through her new group of Filipina friends. The defamation case had just been a way for Miriam to distract Kurt from her own guilt. Megan and her siblings were extremely upset over the depth of Miriam's deception, especially considering how they all testified to her character, a character seemingly that they had been completely misled about. And Miriam didn't apologize to Megan and her siblings. Instead, and this is crazy, she blocked them all on social media and completely
3: cut them off. So bizarre. That would make me so upset. Yeah, it's fucked up. Such a betrayal.
0: But even after finding out that Miriam had been unfaithful, Kurt still wanted to be with her. He really wanted to make the relationship work.
1: Originally, Dad was trying to get them to stay together, and he... He had purchased tickets to fly out to the Philippines to see her family because he thought, you know, if they, if he could get all of them out there with her parents, then maybe she would see how important it was, family and, and staying together. So that was kind of like his desperate attempt to try to keep them together. And uh, it didn't work. She wouldn't go with him. She wouldn't go to the Philippines and do that vacation with with him and the kids
3: and kurt bought these tickets in april of 2011. by mid-may Miriam made it clear to kurt that she did not want to be with him she wanted to be with her new boyfriend the kurosawas officially separated and kurt moved into a townhome in the cul-de-sac next to Miriam's place in yorktown that way the kids routine would change as little as possible Kurt was very upset over the separation. He took it extremely hard. He was heartbroken. He lost a lot of weight, and he couldn't eat or sleep. And he would often update his Facebook with how he was feeling. He wrote one Facebook post about stacking books on Miriam's side of the bed so he, quote, wouldn't have to feel the giant empty space next to him as he lay awake every night. So he was airing this publicly. He was really struggling with the separation.
2: So Kurt and Miriam's divorce was long, bitter, and contentious. And it's so sad when a relationship disintegrates, and like so many divorces, the main disagreement was over who would get the children. Kurt
3: and Miriam both wanted full custody. Right. And just we have to say here that there can be a lot of he saids" and she saids" in the throes of a divorce. And what we're sharing here is a version of events from one perspective.
1: You know, the kids insisted that they wanted to stay with him. They didn't want to be with her because apparently she would go to these parties and she would take them sometimes and they would be stuck in this room and they just have to like fall asleep. And he had given them a phone, but she took their phone so that they couldn't contact him.
0: So Kurt hearing about Miriam's behavior only made him fight harder for full custody. But even with the exuberant amounts of money, The likelihood of a father getting custody over a mother was very slim, especially in conservative Virginia. But that didn't stop Kurt. He wasn't going to give up so easily. By this point, Kurt was convinced that Miriam was up to no good, partying with her new friends and hanging with her new boyfriend. Kurt was worried that Miriam was more focused on her new party life than about being a parent. He attempted to fight Miriam in court, but as we know, lawyers aren't free. This fight for custody ultimately led to Kurt getting himself so far into debt that he owed the court thousands upon thousands of dollars in fees. And apparently, failure to pay these fees would result in jail time. Kurt reached out to family members for help, and his mom loaned him $225,000. And Megan's younger sister gave him money as well. Now, these loans helped Kurt stay afloat for a while, but they weren't enough to clear his debt.
3: Then, in the fall of 2014, Kurt allegedly received a letter in the mail stating that if he didn't pay $50,000 by January 31st, 2015, he'd be arrested. By this point, Kurt had run out of money, and he felt hopeless. He would never be able to come up with that kind of money, and as far as he knew, a jail sentence was now imminent. He was more stressed than ever, and being behind bars was the last place he wanted to be, but not for the reason you'd expect. Here's Megan talking about one of her younger
1: half-siblings. His daughter had made insinuations that his wife's boyfriend was very creepy and she was very uncomfortable around him and he knew he just couldn't protect her and he felt like if he got put in jail that would be it. He wouldn't be able to save his kids rescue his kids and help them if they were in ever a situation that was harmful to them.
2: Kurt had no idea what to do about his situation. Fearing that he'd be jailed soon, he wanted to spend as much time with his younger kids as possible. So he took them on a road trip to visit family and friends.
1: At Thanksgiving, he made this huge trip with his kids. He lived in Virginia. He drove up to New York to see his mother for Thanksgiving in 2014. Then he drove to see my sister in Raleigh, North Carolina, and her family. And he visited my brother. And then he came down. We were living in my, – my husband at the time and I were living in Charleston. And he came down to see me. And I had just given birth to my second child.
0: Following the Thanksgiving trip, Megan heard from her father again on Christmas Day. He called to say he loved her. And things seemed to be fine, at least on the surface. But that all changed on December 28th. When at around 6.30 p.m., 911 operators received a call from a person inside Miriam's Yorktown house. The caller told the operator something shocking. They said they just killed someone, then hung up the phone. All attempts to get back in touch with the caller were unsuccessful. Fifteen minutes later, emergency crews arrived at Miriam's house. Inside, near the kitchen area, they found two bodies, 40-year-old Miriam and 62-year-old Kurt.
3: And at around 4 a.m. the next day, Megan received a voicemail.
1: I had a message, and I, I listened to it, and and my sister had said, Hey, we're on our way to Virginia, and I just wanted to let you know, Dad killed himself, and and he killed Miriam, and we're we're on our way to pick up the kids. The news
3: was shocking to say the least. How could Kurt do something so horrible? It was truly a horrific worst-case scenario. How had things gotten this bad? And Megan admits
2: that she was worried her dad may hurt himself ever since she saw him over Thanksgiving when he'd brought him and Miriam's kids on that road trip. She worried that his hopelessness over his financial situation was taking a toll, but she had no idea how bad it actually was.
1: I was worried for his well-being. I, ne- I never thought that anything else would happen, but I worried that he would do self-harm. So when we got the call on the 28th of december that year i wasn't surprised to find out he was dead but i was really surprised to find out that our stepmother was gone too
0: learning that her father took Miriam's life along with his own was just too much for megan to process
1: i was kind of in denial at first because i just couldn't believe it but i knew like you you know how you get these like Deep down, icky feelings that something's happened. Like I had that, and I knew he was gone, but I just, I really just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he would do something like that. So, what exactly did Kurt
3: do? When her first-degree Megan received a voicemail from her sister, letting her know that their 62-year-old father, Kurt, had killed their 40-year-old stepmother, Miriam, before taking his own life, she had no idea what to think or how to feel.
2: And while we'll never know exactly what happened between Kurt and Miriam, authorities were able to put together the pieces for the most part. And this is what we know. Kurt definitely planned the murder-suicide in advance. And it's most likely that Kurt came up with a ruse in order to get to Miriam's house. It's believed that he told Miriam he'd sign over the family van to her. They planned to meet on December 28th at Miriam's. On that fateful day, Kurt had custody of the children, so he left them at his place while he went to Miriam's to, quote, sign the paperwork. And just before 6.30 p.m., Kurt showed up at Miriam's house in Yorktown. Once he was inside, Kurt shot Miriam, called 911, and confessed. After hanging up on the operator, Kurt then turned the gun on himself.
1: He had a bullet wound to his heart, like he shot himself. And he was a nurse, and he he would have done research because my dad, he was a complete nerd. And he would have looked into seeing what was the most efficient and, you know, that happens to be the most painful way to shoot yourself is, is in the chest.
0: Investigators also found that before Kurt took Miriam's life, He wrote a last will and testament, which stated that he wanted his three younger children to be raised by his second oldest daughter. Along with the will was a letter, which Megan knew she had to read. She needed to know what her dad was thinking when he decided to commit such a terrible crime. Megan's sister thought Megan was morbid for wanting to know, but she sent a copy of the letter anyway.
3: In this letter, Kurt wrote a lot about how he was worried for his children's safety. Or at least he claimed to be. He said apparently he felt there was a high probability of physical abuse while living with their, quote, consciousless mother and her boyfriend. Kurt thought Miriam's boyfriend was abusing his daughter, and he thought Miriam was a psychopath, which is why he calls her consciousless. And when we were doing some research for this episode on Kurt's Facebook, he was posting about psychopaths a lot, like books he was reading, or it was something that he was he had a very focused interest in at around this time. So at some point he came to this revelation that Miriam was in fact a psychopath and he had sort of set his he'd made up his mind about that. But you know, we can't help notice the irony in Kurt's statement, because he said Miriam was the consciousless one, but he's the one who ended up being a murderer. So who's consciousless really?
0: Yeah. And all irony aside, we wanted to know if Megan thought her father truly believed his children were in danger.
1: I believe it. I believe he's, I believe he believed that. You know, he, my dad was a man of conviction and, and he, he had belief in God and he had belief in his reputation as a person. He, he was a person that you either hated or you loved. Um, he just had a very strong personality. He was very blunt and... He would tell you exactly what he was thinking when he was thinking it, and I, I believe wholeheartedly that he believed his kids weren't safe with his wife and her new boyfriend. Do I think that he maybe was a little overdramatic and over paranoid?
3: Yeah, possibly. The rest of the letter was filled with reasons why Kurt felt his actions were justified. For example, he said that if he killed Miriam and took his own life, two positive things would happen for the children. One, they would receive an insurance payout. And two, quote, the kids could finally move past the divorce and live in a new location in a better situation. They could concentrate on the work of growing up, which should be their only concern at this point in life. So there are other things that Kurt said as well, but none of them provide Megan with the answers she was looking for. As time
2: went on and the effects of Kurt's actions became more apparent, Megan's feelings of denial were replaced with anger.
1: I feel like my dad made a really poor choice, and I feel like he thought it was just going to fix everything, but it didn't. The, the, long, the long-reaching effects of his actions, I feel like, have really messed up his kids not necessarily my sister and my brother and i because we were adults so we were a little older and i mean we we were still affected by it but not to the degree of his younger children who were all minors
0: kurt's actions caused a ripple effect that would reach all six of his children in numerous ways kurt's three youngest children kent kyla and kevin were completely uprooted from their lives after they moved in with Megan's younger sister in Raleigh, North Carolina. Raising three more kids on top of the two she already had was super stressful for Megan's sister, as it would be for anyone. So Megan and her husband moved to Raleigh to help out. But it still wasn't enough support. Megan's sister was really struggling with the youngest child, Kevin. He had behavioral issues and needed to live somewhere else, so Megan took him in.
3: Kurt's actions continued their ripple effect when Megan's husband decided to leave because the entire situation was too much for him. And I'm paraphrasing. Me and Megan talked about this a little bit. And he left Megan to raise their two children and her youngest sibling by herself. Understandably, this is soul crushing. You know, it's devastating when your partner leaves. Looking for a way to cope with the shockwaves of all these changes, Megan turned to therapy.
1: My therapist told me she was like, every time we talk, you always end up mentioning your father. <laughs> and then we always come to him and I and she felt like he was a very integral part of the things I'd gone through in my life. And and I agree. I do feel like the things that happened with my father. And my mom affected me at a young age, and I tried really hard not to marry anybody like my dad. And I ended up marrying somebody exactly like my dad, (laughs) to the point where he left me for a woman who had the same name as me, who happened to be half his age, just like my dad did. It's, It's ironic, to be honest. And it's something that I, I have a really hard time wrapping my head around.
2: After coming to these realizations in therapy, Megan can't help but notice how history often repeats itself, that the cycle can continue no matter how hard you fight to end it.
1: My goal was always to, to, to not get divorced ever. That was my goal. I, I know that you can't necessarily control that because it takes two people to be in a marriage. But for me, I I saw how my parents' divorce damaged our family, and then his second marriage damaged that family dynamic and their mental health. And then also my mom, she's on her fifth husband, and she's still not happy. So to me, it's a very... Interesting, just kind of how like things cycle through.
0: And if all of these hardships weren't enough already, Megan constantly has to wrestle with the reality of her father's actions.
1: It's something that I struggle with to this day because he's a murderer. Like, and that's really hard to say. Like, my dad was a murderer, and yeah, it wasn't like he wasn't a serial killer, and he wasn't. He, but he, he robbed somebody of their, their daughter, and he robbed three children of their mother, and he did something that was, I, you know, I, in my heart, was wrong.
3: To this day, Megan stays up at night asking questions she'll never get the answers to, because both sides of Kurt are gone. The side that was her father, and the side that was the murderer.
1: I tried to picture in my head what what it was like, what he was feeling when he went to her house and he did what he did. Did he have regrets? Did he have remorse? You know, like, I I just wonder, was he scared? But I won't ever know.
3: If you're thinking about suicide and are worried about a friend or loved one, or would like emotional support, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline Network is available 24-7 across the U.S., You can reach them at 800-273-8255.
2: Well, a huge thank you to Megan for being our First Degree guest today. If you have a story that you would like to tell, please email us. Hello at podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at thefirstdegree, at Billy Jensen, at Alexis Linkletter, at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group by searching The First Degree in the search bar. We are talking true crime all the time. And come back tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time
3: right in your feed.
0: And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close.
3: But not... That close. Happy panic day. Happy That's panic Barbie. day. What was the other one? Barbie, Barbie day. Ooh, Barbie day. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for the first degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing by Haley Gray. Sources for this episode are The Daily Press, 13 News Now. And as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source.